Hey, can we, can we give, give it up for our band, our worship team for leading us this morning? Goodness gracious. Like, I don't even think I need to preach right now. Y'all just, y'all just led us to the throne room. We are good. Goodness, man, that was awesome. Well, uh, Man, if we, if we haven't met y'all, my name is Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm super excited uh, today to be continuing in this series that we've been in for the past several weeks uh, called Devoted. Let me hear y'all say Devoted. Devoted, devoted, and in this series, we've been looking at this passage from Acts chapter 2, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and pull that up. Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 through 44 is where we're going to be today. And I know if you came to night church, you're like, Joe, I got this thing memorized now. Like, we don't even need to put it on the screens. We're good. Um, But, uh, man, I'm super excited just that we get to unpack this just a little bit more together today. It says, starting in verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves, speaking of the early church, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. You know, in this series, Devoted, we've been looking at the early church and looking at the devotion that they had and trying to see, hey, what can we learn from them? What can we mimic? What can we imitate? What can we implement in our lives today? Because they flipped the world upside down, and we're trying to do that, church. And uh, we want to be a part of something miraculous and spectacular like they were as well. And so, uh, man, we've spent some, times look at, some time looking through this passage. And this morning, we're going to be talking about this word that you see underlined up here, fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Someone say fellowship. 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 And uh, what they did is they devoted themselves to meeting together from house to house and in the temple courts. They would meet together and then they would go out and they would preach the gospel boldly on the streets. So they would invite people to come and be a part of their family. They would meet back together and they would break bread together and they would share meals together and they would pray together and they would worship together and they would open up God's word together. And they had this great relationship with one another. It says they had all things in common. They had this fellowship. See, the early church did more than just make converts, y'all. They made disciples. The early church made devoted followers of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about this word fellowship. And, and this word means so much more than just being with Christians, okay? I think this word fellowship, one of the things I want to do this morning is recapture this word for us. Because if you grew up in church, uh, this word has some connotations with it, right? Like you've heard this word just kind of thrown out before. It can kind of feel like this cliche Christian phrase almost like that people use. It's like, hey, we're just hanging out. We're fellowshipping. We're just together. You know, we're fellowshipping. We got this fellowship. Uh, if you grew up in church, uh, maybe you grew up in a church where they would pass you a bulletin when you would walk into the church, all right? And, and they would give you a bulletin, and in that bulletin was a list of all the different things that are happening in the life of the church, and, and you would kind of scroll through, and I guarantee you that you've seen this before. Come out tonight for food, fun, and fellowship, right? The three F's. It's like the second trinity of the church, food, fun, and fellowship. And, and so they would invite you to come out for this thing, and it was, it was almost like this word that was tagged onto anything to make it seem spiritual, to make it seem like, okay, yeah, we're like, we're getting into the word. Like, this is, something's going to happen. There's going to be some life change happening in this place. Like, anyone grew up in a church where you had a fellowship hall? You had a fellowship hall? Like uh, my wife, Leslie, she grew up in uh, Southern Baptist Church, and, and back in the day, they had a fellowship hall, and she was telling me stories. We were talking about this story after story about what, the, what would happen in the fellowship hall. She said, like, anytime that there was a wedding, what would happen is people would show up for the wedding, and you would drop your gift up front in the, like, worship center, and then you would go around back to the fellowship hall, and you would drop your dish off. 
They would have like a potluck together for a wedding. And people would gather, what, in the fellowship hall. And it was a place where they would, where they would eat and they would just share all this food. Um, if you're not familiar with the term potluck, let me just explain it to you, okay? Potluck, potlucks don't happen anymore in 2021, I don't think. Like I feel like 2020 would have done away with potlucks because potlucks is, um, is the time where people, every family in the church, they would, they would put together this dish early in the morning which would then sit out for a very long time before it gets ready for the, the meal later on. And they would put together probably the easiest dish you can think of, lasagna, right? There's just 400 lasagnas when you go to a potluck. And, and, and you got rolls and butters. And, and what would happen? Everyone in the church would bring this dish, and they would set out this really long table, and you'd meet together in the fellowship hall, and you would form this assembly line, and everyone would go through and scavenge through all the different food because there's ham sandwiches, and then there's lasagna, like I said, and rolls and salad, the most basic salad you can imagine. And and. Everyone goes through this assembly line, breathing on all the food, picking over all the food, sneezing, coughing, whatever. Everyone comes through this assembly line. You have the potluck. You sit down. You talk about the masters, and then you go home, right? Like, and 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 uh, a lot of times when people would think about this word fellowship, that's what they would think of. Leslie was telling me that um, so her dad, he's a preacher, and he can preach, y'all. And he would get invited to go and speak at all these different churches in the area, and he would go out into the country, and he would go and speak at revivals. And Leslie was saying that she would go with her dad to these revivals, and they would show up, and it would be hyped up. Man, we're going to meet the Holy Spirit tonight. It's going to be epic. Lives are going to be changed. And so she would show up with this expectancy. Revival is about to break out. But the first thing that they would do before a revival could break out, they had to eat, right? They had to eat. So she'd show up to this revival, and it's like, all right, we're going to meet together in the fellowship hall. And you're just sitting with people beforehand like, what are we doing? Why? Because revival has to break out in your tummy before it can break out in your soul. You know what I'm saying? People are like, the Spirit was moving tonight. And you're like, was it the deviled eggs? Like, are you sure it wasn't the deviled eggs? They got you. They got you. Like, fellowship hall. And, and it's this word that so many times I think has just been kind of overused. It's been tweaked and changed, and it's just been kind of thrown out there. And now it's a word that we don't even really say anymore. Like, you'll never hear us on stage until today just say, hey, we're going we're gonna to have some fellowship together as a church like, it's not anything that we even say anymore because this word has been kind of tainted. It's been kind of messed up. It's, it's been used in such a way to just be thrown out there as this descriptive word to make people feel Christian, to make people feel spiritual. But what I want to do this morning is recapture this word. I want us to look at the early church because it says that they were devoted to the fellowship. It was more than just them gathering together to eat food when they got together. It was more than them just gathering together to, to sit down and talk about sports and what's happened in our lives. No, 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 no. It represents this idea of having in common, that they had this mutual bond that was with one another that was more than just association. You see, fellowship is more than just an event to attend. It's a way of life to walk in. It's a way of life. Jesus called us to walk in fellowship with each other. And so there was something that was so distinct about the early church that set them apart from every other group of the day. There was lots of different communities and lots of different groups and lots of different religions. But there was something that was so distinct about them that set them apart. And it was because they were in fellowship with one another. They ate together. They had this uncommon community. It was far different than anything else. They were unified and generous and connected. They gathered. They prayed. They had fun. They talked about Jesus, and they shared the gospel. They made disciples when they flipped the world upside down. And so if you're taking notes, the title for my message this morning, very simple, very just casual, just right at the top, more than a potluck, more than a potluck. 
See, I want to preach a message today about how I believe that we as a church need to be devoted to fellowship. And, and as we recapture this world, I want to talk about how more than just simply being in community, more than just simply having connection in your life, more than simply just having friendship with people, more than a potluck, what we need is we need to have fellowship with the people of God. And I believe that this is what is missing from so many of our lives. And many of us, we don't even realize it. When was the last time you thought about fellowship? Thought about if you are in fellowship with people. Thought about whether or not you are fellowshipping with the people of God. And so Acts 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This word that we see in the Bible here for fellowship is this word koinonia. Y'all say that with me, koinonia. Not to be confused with quinoa. You know that stuff people make you pay a lot of extra money just to have? No, 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 koinonia. And it's this Greek word that is used, and it's almost untranslatable. Like when you look up the definition of what koinonia means, it's like 40 different words that describe what koinonia means. And it expresses this relationship of deep intimacy and depth and connection. The Strong's definition, some of the words that it uses to describe uh, koinonia is a partnership association, a community, communion, joint participation, and intimacy. It's more than just a community, but it is a community. It's more than just association. It's a partnership. It's a communion that everyone comes together and participates in a common goal. It's this rich word that the Apostle John, um, he uses to describe how life that we have together is more than just life with each other, but it's also life with God. He says in 1 John 1, he says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, there is this great sharing with the people of God and God that we have in fellowship. It's not just something we have with each other, but it's ultimately we have with each other because we have fellowship with God through Jesus. See, fellowship depicts this genuine friendship. And this honest communication that we have with each other. In other words, there are no facades when it comes to fellowship with people. You don't have to put, up a put on a mask and pretend like you're someone else. You don't have to hide yourself. You don't have to step back and, and, and put up walls when you're in fellowship with people. There's no facades. You can be real. You can be open. You can be honest. It expresses this idea of invitation and challenge. That you can come as you are, we'll love you as you are, but we love you too much to let you stay as you are. That was the early church. Come on, come and be a part of this movement. Come and jump into this community. We want you a part of this fellowship. We're going to love you right where you're at. But you know what? We love you too much to let you stay there. We want to usher you into something better and see Jesus do a work in your life. That is koinonia. And this word koinonia comes from this root word Koinonosis, koinonos. I don't know if I'm saying this right. And <laughs> koinonos is used to describe this associate or a comrade or a partner or a companion. It literally means to share in everything. I think that's where they get potlucks from, right? They were like, okay, share in everything. Cool. We're going to share food. It's going to be wild, fried food, all the different things. We're going to come together and we're going to eat. But it's more than just that. It's about partners participating to see the purpose of the church realized and come to light. See, the early church did more than just devote themselves to fellowship for the sake of eating together. They devoted themselves to the fellowship because they knew they were better together. They knew that they needed each other. See, devotion demands fellowship. Devotion demands fellowship. Let me tell you, can you tell me about an athlete who has ever won anything on their own? 
who has ever gotten to the top on their own. No, 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 LeBron James, you look at LeBron, what, he has a fellowship around him. He's got a chef, he's got a trainer, multiple trainers, he's got shooting coaches, and, his, and he's got Frank Vogel, and he's got all the different people around his life. He's got um, a wife to help take care of the family. He's got um, other people around him. He has this fellowship around him that is allowing him to then be who he's created to be. Do you know that you need people? Do you know that you need people? Like some of y'all in this room, you're hearing me talking, you're like, bro, I'm an introvert, like chill, Joe. Can you just chill for a little bit? But do you know that you and I, we are hardwired for relationship? There is a longing to be connected with God and to be connected with his people that is deep within your soul. It doesn't matter your Myers-Briggs, your Enneagram type. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert, extrovert. It doesn't matter. You've got something deep within your soul that longs for relationship with God and relationship with his people. And see, a lot of times we talk about this idea as community, that we need community. The world understands this need for our community. Why? The world creates all these different communities all around us all the time and invites us to be a part of it. Can you say Instagram? Instagram calls itself a community. It's trying to welcome you into this community where they determine the rules and they determine what you see and they determine what you can be a part of. TikTok, it's a community of a lot of dancers and people trying to be comedians. It's a community. We see this played out in the different groups that we try to be a part of. What You've got golf groups and you've got, uh, you've got gun clubs and groups like CrossFit and Weight Watchers and all sorts of other social clubs that what we come to be a part of so that we can be in community. But you, and that's because you're wired for relationship. It's in your DNA because we're created in the image of God. And our God, check this out, is a God who exists in community. Have you ever thought about the Trinity? He exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the picture of the Trinity that we see. God is three in one. He has always been and he will always be God in three persons in perfect relationship with one another. But it's more than just community. It's that our God exists in perfect fellowship. In perfect fellowship, there is communion within each member of the Trinity. That you don't, They don't just merely associate with each other. They aren't just merely friends. No, no, no. But each member of the Trinity works together for the common purpose of glorifying God. The Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, and the Spirit glorifies the Son. And they work together to bring glory to God and to redeem his creation. And there's this beautiful fellowship that is taking place. And if you've got questions about the Trinity, Joey would love to answer them. He can come to the front, follow in service. He'll be right here. He would love to talk with you about the Trinity. But more than just a connection and commonality, our God, he exists in fellowship. And you are created for fellowship. See, don't ever get to the place where you begin to forsake fellowship for mere connection. Like community should, is beautiful. Community is great. We love and value community, but it should not be the primary focus of your relationships in this life. Community for the sake of community is not going to satisfy your soul. Community for the sake of community is not going to change you. Why? Because communities, when you don't like what's happening in community, you just dip out. You just change communities. You just say, all right, I don't like what he's saying. Peace. Communities shift and change, but a fellowship, man, there's something deeper in a fellowship. You got things in common. You are a part of something. See, community for the sake of belief for the sake of mission, for the sake of sacrifice, for the sake of communion, for the sake of participation and remembrance, for the sake of devotion, that is fellowship. And that's what we need. And that's what the community of the early church looked like. And so I want to talk about what makes this so different, what made their fellowship so unique. And it's that 
they had this fellowship with each other, and the goal was that they would fan the flame of their fellowship with God with each other. The goal of fellowship is to fan the flame of belief in each other's hearts. That's what fellowship is all about, that I'm coming alongside you to fan this flame of belief in your heart so that you will love God more. Think, look back to the early church. It says in Acts 2, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They, dev- they came together to eat, to break bread, so that they could remember the cross. They could fan the flame of belief in each other's hearts by remembering what Jesus did for them. They met together in the temple so that they could flame, fan the flame of belief in each other's hearts through the preaching and the teaching of God's word. They met in homes, house to house, so they could fan the flame of belief in each other's hearts by connecting with each other in community. They prayed together to fan the flame of belief in each other's hearts by asking God for what they needed and trusting he was going to come through. They gave generously everything that they had to fan the flame of belief through trusting in God to provide for them. They were working together so that their belief in Jesus, their love for Jesus, their affection for Jesus would increase in such a way that the world would change. Jesus, he even modeled fellowship for us. When we look at Jesus' life, uh, we see that he valued fellowship so much that before he performed a single miracle, before Jesus healed anyone, what did he do? He gathered a group of a few guys and started a small group, a community of fellas that he would do life with every single day. And as a 30-year-old man, Jesus creates this tight-knit fellowship of 12 friends, 12 guys, different, different backgrounds, different understandings, different perspectives to bring in. But he brought them together and formed this fellowship. See, people talk all the time about all the miracles that Jesus performed, but no one ever talks about the miracle it is that Jesus, he had 12 close friends next to him in his 30s. Y'all know anyone in their 30s with 12 close friends? That's a miracle, y'all. Jesus, he modeled this. He says, hey, this is what I want your life to look like. Surround yourself with people. Jesus modeled what it should look like too. He encouraged them. He challenged them. He rebuked them. He called out their sin. Sometimes he even called them Satan. He came next to them and loved on them and preached them and taught them and lifted them up. He cried with them, laughed with them, played with them, went on adventures with them. He made it clear what this fellowship should look like. And he even, he prays this prayer with the Father before he goes to take the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his knees praying and he's talking with the Father and he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And then he says this, that they, the church, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, this fellowship, and I in you, fellowship, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you catch that? So that the world may believe. We fan the flame of belief in each other, and in fanning the flame of belief in each other, belief starts to rise up in the people around us, and that's how we see a move of God, that we're fanning this flame in each other, and we're praying, and we're believing, and we're hoping that someone next to us is going to come say, hey, what's, what's happening? You know, I see that there's something going on in your life. I see that you got this love for this, this Jesus. I see you're always going to church. Can you tell me about that? I see that you're so united. I see that you're so distinct. I see that you're so connected with one another. Tell me about that. It's attractive to a world that is so lost and so desperate for relationship, so desperate for fellowship, and they don't even realize it. Amen. See, in order for the church to experience all that Jesus had in store, they had to continue in this fellowship. Another thing about fellowship in the church is that it is a family. 
It is a family. It's a spiritual family. It's a home for the spiritually homeless to come and find a place and come and find belonging and come and experience their purpose and come and live out their purpose in the church together as a family. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter where you've been, where you grew up. It doesn't matter if you've ever been to church before. You can be invited to be a part of this spiritual family through Jesus through trusting in Jesus, through believing in him. And that family supersedes any other relationship that you've ever had in this life. It's a family. It's a bond that cannot be broken. Jesus, he, he talks about this. In Jesus, we have this commonality, this connection, and it's deeper than anything else that we see. It's that we're united by his blood. It's that we're united by the cross. It's that we are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. First John, he says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Listen, fellowship isn't just something that the church did. Fellowship is who the church was. They were in fellowship with each other. They were a family, and this is how God has wired us to work. This is his design for the church, that we would be a spiritual family. And it's a family, though, that's unlike anything else. It's a family that's everlasting, that tears down walls, that welcomes everyone home. There's this mutual bond and connection that we have with Jesus that is deeper than blood, that is deeper than anything else in this life. And it's more than just a group of people that you come and be a part of. It's that you get to be a part of the family of God forever when you step into relationship with Jesus. See, there's something that is between us that is stronger than anything else that could ever stand against us. And that is this hope that we have in fellowship, that our bonds can't be broken. Yeah, we may disagree. Yeah, we may get in some arguments. Yeah, there may be some frustrations. Yeah, it may be hard putting up pipe and drape every single Sunday together. But there is something between us, something. There is nothing that can come against us because we have this bond united by the blood of Jesus and his resurrection. See, to be in fellowship with each other means that we, our hope and our goal is to make Jesus known. It's to help us know Jesus more and love Jesus more and make him known. I love how Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews, he talks about um, this idea of us meeting together. And he says, hey, do not stop meeting together. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us continue, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's saying the day is drawing near. The day is getting closer and closer and closer. And so do not stop meeting together. How many of y'all know that the day is getting closer and closer, but it feels like oftentimes that we are deciding to meet together less and less and less and less? Like you realize, he's saying, hey, do not stop encouraging one another. Do not stop stirring up one another. Do you realize that people don't need less encouragement from you? People don't need less stirring up from you. People don't need less love. They don't need less uh, ask to, to do good works, to be the church of Jesus. They don't need less of that from you. They need more of that from us. That's what the church needs. That's what we need, each other needs, that we need someone to come next to us and say, hey, let me fan that flame. Let me stir that belief within you. Let me grow, let me pour into you so that you will love Jesus more. Solomon, he talked about this in Proverbs. He paints this picture of iron sharpening iron. And a lot of times we talk about iron sharpening iron. And we're like, that's a cool, cute phrase. Let's throw it on a sticker. 
but it's not. It is hard. It, is, it requires work. It is messy, iron sharpening iron. There is this grit. There is this resistance, this tension in the midst of that. It's that we as the church of Jesus, we got to be okay with getting into the mess of each other's lives. We got to be okay with stepping into, even if it's difficult, so that we can make each other look different, so that we can make each other look more like the person of Jesus. The writer says, don't stop meeting together. Listen, things are going to come up. You're going to have a million and one reasons to skip your small group. Those bills, they're going to stress you out. And they're going to keep stressing you out. That new job is just going to keep asking more and more of you. Those events are going to keep filling up your calendar. Those meetings, you trying to manage and juggle all these different things, it's never going to get easier. And what he's saying, the day's drawing near, time is running out. Do not stop making it a priority to be together with the people of God. He's saying you need this. You need this within your soul. And so don't stop. It's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. But he's saying prioritize fellowship in your calendar. Make it a priority. Come together and be a part of the church of Jesus. Notice that it says that they devoted themselves. It says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. It wasn't the leaders. It wasn't the pastors. It wasn't the apostles standing up there devoting them to it. No, no, they devoted themselves. They said, hey, we can't get enough of this. We need more of this. We need to come together. We need to be in group. We need to be discipling each other. We need to be building each other up. See, I believe that if we want to be a church that wants to experience the miraculous, we're going to have to learn how to be devoted to fellowship, to be with each other, to prioritize on our calendars. I want you to think about this question, that if everyone in the church were as devoted as you, what would our church look like? Like if everyone in the church were as devoted to fellowship as I am, what would our church look like? What would our lives look like? See, the Bible is so clear that every person in the church, every person in the family of God has a role to play, a part to participate in, a gift to bring, a gift to steward, a job to do. This is for everyone. This is the picture of the church as this family. We all come together to stir one another up, to fellowship. See, fellowship means getting off the bench and getting to the mess of each other's lives. It means encouraging each other. It means, yes, having fun. We are all for fun. I am all about fun. But it also means that in that fun, we take time to see how each other are doing. We take time to check each other's hearts. We take time to ask how Jesus is moving in each other's hearts. I love how Paul, he writes to Timothy. Timothy is this young leader and pastor that Paul mentored and poured into and trained up and raised up. And, and he writes this to Timothy. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is who we need to be for people. We live in a world right now that's so ruled by fear. We live in a world where the enemy would love nothing more than to get the church to be in a state of fear. Why? Because when you're in a state of fear, you're powerless. It feels like you can't win. It feels like you can't move. But what is Paul saying to Timothy? He's saying, hey, don't listen to that lie of fear. Don't lose sight of the fact that you've got the spirit of God living in you. Do not be afraid. Fan to flame this gift of God, the spirit of God living inside you. Remember who you are and remember who is in you. See, church, we got to be okay with calling out fear in each other. That's one of our roles. That's one of our jobs. Hey, I think, I think, 
I'm seeing that you're living in fear. Let's talk about it. Calling it out in each other. Why? Because otherwise we're going to operate and we're going to live in a state of fear and we're going to be powerless. We're never going to see God move in our lives and we're never going to see him move in our church if we can't call that out in each other's lives. Paul says, by the laying out of my hands, he's reminding him, hey, I'm with you. Remember, I prayed for you. Remember, I commissioned you. Remember, I sent you out. I'm still here for you. We are still in fellowship together. Do not forget this. Y'all remember Lord of the Rings? Y'all remember Lord of the Rings movies back in the day? It just blew up the box offices. The first Lord of the Rings movie was what? The Fellowship of the Ring. If you don't remember the plot of it, it's about this story of when Middle Earth is is um, in this state of doom. It, the fate of Middle-earth is hanging in the balance, and, and all of a sudden there's this young hobbit named Frodo who finds this ring, and it is now his job to destroy this ring that has the power to destroy everything else. And so Frodo forms a fellowship with eight other men to set out on a quest to destroy this ring. Well, in this fellowship, he gathers together some very different people, there was Frodo, if you remember Frodo, he's the young ring bearer, and then his best friend Sam, who was his gardener, and they're hobbits, and then there was Gandalf the wizard, Gandalf the great, there was Legolas for the ladies, Orlando Bloom, there was an angry dwarf, I don't even remember his name, he was just always mad, and Aragorn the king, and Boromir, and there's more hobbits, Merry and Pippin, and I don't remember what they did, they just rode trees, and they were all very different, but they formed this fellowship they came together to partner and participate in this shared mission and it was dangerous it was terrifying they would get afraid but they had each other for when the mission got tough when they thought they they needed to give up when they thought all hope seemed lost when they thought that they were stuck even when they met this crazy naked caveman they still pressed on they had each other even through the midst of it all see the apostle paul he oftentimes, when he would write out letters, he would encourage people for the way that they were fellowshipping with people. He would remind them to fan this flame. He would remind them to not be afraid. And he would encourage whenever he would see it happening. And he writes this letter um, to a guy named Philemon. Or Philemon. <laughs> Philemon. And uh, Philemon is a chapter in your Bible, in case you did not know it. And uh, most people don't talk about it because it's hard to say his name. Is it Philemon? Is it Philemon? Is it Philemon? I don't know. And... <laughs> And so Philemon is a book in your Bible, but he ain't getting no love. Like, I guarantee you, a lot of people in this room have probably never read the book of Philemon. You probably have never heard someone get up here on a stage like this and say, all right, this morning we're going to be turning on our Bibles to the book of Philemon. No. Ladies, you've never done a Beth Moore study on Philemon. It's never happened. But Paul, he writes this letter. And speaking to Philemon, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus, check this out, and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith, that word sharing right there comes from the same word that fellowship comes from. That the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. For the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you refreshed through you what he's saying here is i see what you're doing i see how you've been in fellowship with people i see that the outcome of that is joy and greater love and this refreshment in the hearts of people and he's pointing it out he's calling it out why to encourage that it would happen more 
So that you and I would read a letter like this and say, man, I want someone to say that of me. Man, Paul, can you write a letter to me? I see how you have been doing this. And I am blessed and encouraged by it. See, we aren't called to be devoted to the fellowship to simply connect with each other. We're called to be devoted to the fellowship so that we can fan this flame of belief in each other's hearts. And he says that people's hearts were refreshed through him. I want to be in fellowship so that I can stir people's affections for Jesus. But I also want to be in fellowship so that people can stir my affection for Jesus. You know, one of the things that I love about our staff and about our team here is, is, is our staff culture and our family atmosphere that we have with our staff. And um, one of the things that I love about the 21 days of church is that a lot of different organizations and groups probably wouldn't have been able to make it through 21 days of seeing each other nonstop over and over and over again. But we met following these 21 days, and it was nothing but joy and gratitude that we had for each other, that we had for God. And one of the favorite things in the midst of the 21 days that I loved was Every day around 3 o'clock, our team would, would circle up. And we would circle up and, and we would share stories about the night before. And, and we would talk about and we would celebrate how God's moving. And we would pray together and we would see what different needs have come up. And, and I love how um, Joey, how he always pastors and leads us. And, and I love how every single day he would ask us these questions. He would say, all right, let's, let's gauge where we're at. Let's get a temperature check. Let's feel where we're at in this room. And he would ask us three questions. He'd say, hey, how's your soul? On a scale of one to ten, how is your soul? How are you spiritually? He would say, scale of one to ten, how are you physically? How is your body? Are you tired? Are you worn out? And he would say, how are we as a family? And we would talk about it. And it wasn't just so that we could gather some data and, and figure out how to be better. No, no, no. It was so that we could pray for each other. It was so that we could encourage each other. It was so that we could lift each other up. It was so that we could fan the flame of belief in each other's hearts. And that's what we need. We need those kind of people around us that can ask us those questions. I love this about our team. It's so different and so distinct is that we can be real and honest with each other. When we were frustrated, when we were tired, when we were worn out, when we were uh, a little bit uh, intense with each other, what we could talk about it. We can be real, open, and honest. Why? Because we know that there is a bond that is between us that is greater than anything that can ever come against us. Amen. I love, um, y'all seen these... Uh, temperature gauges that people have nowadays that a lot of times before you go in somewhere you got to get a little zap on the head and um and one of the things that I find interesting about these temperature gauges that I just think is funny is like they just showed up out of nowhere whenever COVID happened like where were these things when I was growing up and I had to get a straw stuck in the back of my throat and I have to hold it there for four minutes while someone checks my temperature all right now it's good this thing's beeping at me and where like where were these like it's like COVID happened it's like hey we have this new creation Boom, your temperature, that fast, laser on your forehead. When you have people around you that are close to you, that you're in fellowship with, you have people that can check the temperature of your soul. And that's who we need around us. We need people around us that can point one of these at our heart and say, hey, hey, I, th I, th I, think, I think we need to slow down. I think, I don't know if it's right that you take that new job. You know, are you in God's word? Have you been praying? Hey, how is your heart? How is your soul? We need people in our lives that can come up to us and, and, and just do a little temperature check. Oh, I, I feel like there's something going on. Can we talk about it? Hey, where are you at? On a scale of one to 10, how is your heart? How is your soul? How are you doing? 
We need people that can come alongside us and give us temperature checks. Say, hey, I know you're in a tough season, but let me walk through the valley with you. Let me come alongside you and pray for you. You know, one thing about these is that you got to get close in order to check someone's temperature. There's no six feet apart like, I'm going to get Joey's temperature right now. Boom. No, you got to get close to someone. See, some of us were wondering why we don't have fellowship in our lives, where we don't have people that are checking our temperature, that are there to fan the flame of belief in our hearts. And could it be it's because we haven't letting anyone in? We haven't letting anyone get close enough to us. For so many of us, our hearts are like Fort Knox. It's like, hey, I've been hurt one time, and so I'm going to push everyone else away. I can't let anyone else in because they've betrayed me. They've let me down. I can't even come to a church. I can't even trust people in a church. I'm, I'm struggling to even be in this room and to listen to you talk right now because I don't want to let people in. I don't want to let people get close enough to tell me the things that I don't want to hear, but I know that I need. You need people in your life that you can allow to come close, to draw close to you, and to say, hey, let's talk. Hey, I think that you're full of fear right now, and I'm seeing these different things, and let me just remind you that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you a spirit of love and of power and self-control. We need people around us that can come and check our temperature, but we also need to be that for other people. When did we as a church just get so scared with asking people hard questions and so just okay with being okay? Like we have friendships and, and they're kind of surface level, but, but we never want to dive in deep to where people are struggling in their heart and in their soul. And we don't want to ask the questions because we don't want to offend them. We, we think that, that, that it might bring up some past pain or hurt or whatever, and we don't want to get close enough to dig in deep, and so we're just okay with being okay with each other. But what we don't realize is that we need each other. We need each other to come alongside one another. And so I want you to ask yourself this question, who am I in fellowship with? Who have I let come close? And who are you checking the temperature of their heart? Who are you coming alongside and calling out and encouraging and stirring up love within? There's this story in the Gospels about a paralytic and it goes like this. Jesus had recently began his ministry and uh, and he was healing people, and he was, he was beginning to um, stir up this commotion that people were coming to hear him teach and coming to see what he would do next. And uh, there's this story of the paralytic where these four friends, they hear that Jesus is in town, and they hear that he's at this house and that he's teaching. And so they have this friend who is paralyzed, and, and they pick up their friend, and they carry their friend all the way to this home to see Jesus. And they show up at the house, and the house is so full because everyone wanted to see Jesus and wanted to hear this man teach. And, and so... They show up and there's no more room to even get inside and they could have so easily taken the L. They could have taken the L, walked, turned around, went home, said, all right, sorry, buddy. Like, we thought maybe you'd get healed tonight, but it's not going to happen. But no, 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 these friends cared so much about their friend that was paralyzed that they decided, hey, nothing is going to hold, hold us back from getting you to Jesus. Nothing. No way. And so they climb on top of the roof of the house and they go on top of the roof of the house and somehow, I don't know, they had some sonar or something. They figured out where Jesus was because they start digging. And they dig a hole through this roof and, and they begin to lower their friend and drop their friend right at the feet of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 2, 5, it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And these four friends had such a faith that they knew that if they could just get their friend close enough to Jesus, if they could just get him to the feet of Jesus, that there was no limit to what Jesus would do. 
They knew that Jesus could heal him. And so what does Jesus do? He first addresses his heart. He forgives his sins. And then he says, hey, son, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And they burst out in worship. They begin to praise God for what he had done. See, church, we need people in our lives who will carry us to the feet of Jesus. And we need to be that for other people. That in our mess, that in our brokenness, there is nothing that, keep me, that can keep me from carrying or even dragging you to Jesus. I need to get you there no matter the frustrations, no matter if there's unforgiveness in our hearts, no matter how many times that we've messed up, where we've gotten in arguments. No, no, no. I'm going to drag you to the feet of Jesus because we are more than just friends. We are in fellowship. We are companions. We are partners. And we share in the profits and we share in the problems. And we come together. And the goal is to always get each other closer and closer to Jesus. You know that you need fellowship, church, not merely friends. You don't need acquaintances. You need advocates. You don't need someone to just walk with you through life. You need someone to be there with you in the midst of the battle, a soldier to carry you, pick you up, and drag you to the feet of Jesus, even when you're knocked down. You need someone in your life, church, that can tell you, hey, by the power of Jesus, you can and you will overcome that addiction. You need someone in your life to say, my God is a God of healing. That diagnosis will not define you. You need someone to say, hey, I see that tough season, but that tough season does not need to be the truest thing about you. You need someone in your life to say, hey, I see that cancer. I'm coming alongside you, but it will not cripple your faith. It will not cancel your faith. That career change will not keep you from making church a priority. It will not keep you. Your marriage, it is not beyond reconciliation. Let me come alongside you, and I'm going to fight, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to cry, and I'm going to talk with you, and we are in this battle together. That is fellowship, that there may be a gap from where you are, to where you want to be, but if you've got fellowship in your life, you can believe even when you can't see because you got someone encouraging you, you got someone stirring up your faith, you got someone with you in the battle. And it doesn't mean that you're always going to overcome every obstacle that comes your way, but it does mean that you're not going to be alone that you've got your God, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, and you got your person next to you to say, hey, I'm coming alongside you. We are in fellowship. I'm going to pick you up, dust the grass off your face, and tell you to try again and again and again. See, our role in fellowship is to be the loudest voice in someone's life saying, hey, Jesus is better. He's better than that. Let me bring you to him. Think of all the different things that are eroding at people's faith today from fear that is caused from the news and comparison from social media and you've got temptation coming at people from every single direction, access to any form of addiction or whatever you could ever imagine. And we've got to recognize that this life, it is not a playground, it's a battleground. It is a battlefield. And what if we stopped looking at fellowship as just coming together to share some meals, but we started to say, hey, there is someone in my life that needs me to fight for them. There is someone in my life that needs me to encourage them. There is someone in my life that needs me to say, hey, Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than that drink. Jesus is better than that affair. He is better than that website. He is better than that hit. He is better than that lie. He is better than that race that's going to cost you everything. He is better than that upgrade. He's better than that new house. He is better than anything and everything. He's enough for you. And that's what we're called to be in Jesus, that we would come alongside people and say, Jesus is better. Would you just believe it? And what if we started to see every relationship in our life through this lens, that I'm fanning this flame of belief in them? And what if you saw it as, as you've got one opportunity, you've got one interaction. It is your goal to fan that flame of belief. Eternity is at stake. Heaven's on the line. 
What if we started to say, hey, it's my responsibility. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that they love Jesus. It's not being disingenuous when you make that your goal. It's being a disciple of Jesus. That every coffee, every lunch meeting, every hangout, it's an opportunity to fan the flame of belief in someone's heart. As I'm writing this, I've been so convicted. I'm like, man, think about all the times where I've just sat down with people and I just shared a meal. And what did I do to fan the flame of belief in their heart? Did, that, did, that, did I waste that opportunity? Playing poker with friends, did I waste opportunities to fan a flame of belief in their heart by just talking about random nonsense? There is so much at stake. People's hearts, people's lives, people's faith. And what if we started to see it as our calling as a, family, as a member of the family of God, that your role in, fan, in your friendships, fan the flame of belief. Your role in your small group, fan the flame of belief. We're not just showing up to talk about our jobs. No, we're showing up so that we can fan the flame of belief in each other's hearts. Your role in your marriage is to fan the flame of belief in your spouse's heart. Your role in parenting, fan the flame of belief in your child's heart. And coming to church, it's so that you can be fanned, your belief can be fanned within you and so that you can bring someone else so that they can experience faith for the first time. Your role in mom's group, in yoga class, in cycling, whatever different groups you're a part of, you're going to say, hey, my job is so that I can fan some belief in someone's heart today. That's fellowship. That's coming together. That is being fe- fo- fellows and followers of Jesus. So two things, if you're a follower of Jesus today. Number one, take a step. Like this is what you need. This is what you were created for. Take a step. That if you're not in a group, get in a group. We're doing everything we can as a church to start new groups. We got new groups starting this week, men's groups. We got equip groups. We got different groups coming up this week for you to join, to be a part of. Take a step. Get in fellowship with someone. It's more than just coming so that you can be around each other. It's coming so that you can fan the flame of belief. This is where your journey begins. Join an equip group. Start to serve. Make Sunday mornings a priority. Take a step where you're going to say, hey, I'm going to intentionally move towards people believing that God's going to use people to change me. I'm going to take a step. Number two, fan the flame. There's someone in your life that their belief, they may be struggling. They may be walking through a valley right now, and and you can come alongside them and say, hey, I see that your belief is a little cold right now, a little low right now, but let me tell you about a God who loves you so much and sees you in the midst of that, and let me start to fan some belief within you. Take a temperature check with someone in your life today. Talk with someone and say, hey, I just need to know, how's your soul? They may say 10, but you never know. They may say, man, I'm struggling. And you would have never known unless you said, boom, let me see where you're at. Tell me. Talk to me. I want to know. For those those of us here that if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, your first step is to put your faith and trust in him. It's to believe in him for the first time. John, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may share in fellowship with us. He's saying, hey, we saw Jesus die. We saw him die on a cross for the sins of humanity. We saw him get buried in a tomb and we saw him rise on the third day. We saw the resurrected Jesus. Over 500 people saw him. They saw his scars. They heard his words. They heard his invitation to come close and to come near, to come as you are, and to be welcomed into a family. 
He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Because it's through Jesus that you get welcomed into the family of God. It's through Jesus that you can have a relationship with the God of the universe, the Father that loves you so, so deeply and that is coming after your heart. And so I need you to know this morning, if you're here and you don't, don't yet know Jesus, I need you to know that there is a God and he is so good and he cares so deeply about your heart. I need you to know that there is a problem and it is sin. It has separated you from God. It has pulled you away from God. It's trying to keep you from him. But there is hope and his name is Jesus. That he's welcoming you in to a relationship with God. He stood on a cross that you and I deserved and paid a debt that we deserved so that we could experience forgiveness of our sins, so that we could experience freedom from sin, so that we could experience life everlasting. And the response to what Jesus has done for us is surrendering our lives. Surrendering our lives. Jesus is inviting us into fellowship with God, and he's inviting us into fellowship with each other. And so what will we do with that invitation? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for what you've done for us in Jesus. We're grateful for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. We're grateful that you paid the debt that we deserved, God. And I just want to give an opportunity for anyone in this room this morning to put their faith in you, Jesus, for the first time. And so if you're here this morning and you're showing up and you're hearing about this Jesus that sees you and cares about your heart and that wants to have relationship with you and you're here and you've never said yes to him, I want to give you opportunity, very simple this morning, but so, so powerful. I want to give you opportunity to pray a prayer. Jesus, God's word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I want to give you the opportunity this morning as every head is bowed and eyes are closed, I want you just to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I need you. God, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I know that you died for me, and I know that you rose. I'm trusting in you as the Lord of my life and committing to follow you forever. I want fellowship with you, God. I am yours. If you're here and you prayed that prayer, I just want to give you an opportunity to mark this moment and to say, hey, I said yes to Jesus today for the first time, and I'm in fellowship with him now. And so if that's you and you just prayed that prayer, I want you to just make a bold statement to raise your hand. And I'm going to count to three. And I want you just to raise your hand and say, I'm in. I did it. I prayed. I'm in fellowship with Jesus. I need him. If that's you on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. One, two, three. Listen, let's celebrate as a church believing that there is someone who is making a decision to take a step closer to Jesus today. For everyone else in this room, God, we pray and we ask Jesus that we would, we would be a people that looks so, so different, that we would be so distinct from every other community on this earth, that we would be a fellowship. God, that we've got this common bond that is so strong that there is nothing that can come against us. May we be a people that are not okay with casual Christianity, but step into the mess of each other's lives, or that are not okay with surface level talks, but are stepping into people's lives to talk about the things that matter and to call out people's hearts and to seek to build each other up, encourage each other, and love one another. May that be who we are. May we be, may we be marked by a love and a devotion for fellowship. Jesus, we love you, we're grateful for you, and we pray all these things in your name. And everybody said, amen, amen.